Hello, it's Brody. I love bringing mummification to you each week, and if you'd like to support me to keep doing that, you can make a once-off donation through the Acast supporter feature. There's no regular subscription, and your donation will help pay our music license, buy audio gear, and put fuel in my car so I can keep interviewing the amazing women who share their stories with us. There's a link in the show description and episode show notes. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to Mummification. I'm your host, Brody Matner. This podcast is a space for women and parents to talk about how they're feeling. And sometimes they feel like swearing. So this episode may not be suitable for young ears. I'm ready. Okay, great. I'm ready too. speaking with Nicolette Minster, uh, comedian, writer and mum to 17-week-old Theo. Yes. Yep. I, I, I went you still back. doing weeks? <laughs> Are you still doing weeks? Well, four months by the calendar tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. It's, I think it's weird after that like 12-week mm-hmm. period because then all of a sudden you can start going in months but it's this like weird, awkward, oh, 17, oh, four, and a, four, four months and a week. Yeah, I I think I, I think once once you pass the fourth trimester, you're just like that can fuck off. Yeah. And then <laughs> I always hate it when people go, "Oh, this is my 22 month old." I'm like, "What? Oh, no, just, nah. just nearly two. Yeah, unless they maybe maybe they're tracking some kind of sleep regression or something. So maybe okay. that's why it's all fresh <laughs> in their mind. Um, so Nick and I went to school together, and we've known each other for a bazillion years. Mm-hmm. And I first spoke to you about coming on mummification back in March. Yes. And I worked out Teo would have been a month old and in hindsight that is horrendously cruel of me to call a brand spanking new mum and say, hey, I'm doing a podcast. Do you want to come and talk about the identity shift that you're going through? I think it was a perfect time to exploit me and my uh, sliding scale of <laughs> hormones and emotions. And no, if anything, I think it was very shrewd of you. Well done. Oh, thanks. Well, you were very open to it even then. Well, there was not a lot of me that was not open. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will start with our, our universal question. Yes. You're stuck on a desert island. Mm -hmm. You can take a meal, a drink and a personal item. First of all, let's just recognise that being stuck on a desert island just sounds blissful. What a dream. (laughs) Um, I reckon tub of hummus, a Negroni and I've thought long and hard about personal item, a hair elastic. Probably should go in for like a sun hat or something 
You could do a but leaf, though. If you do not have a hair, like if I, I don't have a hair elastic when I need one. Yeah. Not just because my hair's falling out, but oh man. I, I can't, you're not living. What are you going to eat with the hummus? Uh, well, I mean, I'd probably fashion something from something else on the desert island. <laughs> or some rusk or some fish. I'd just be happy to just fist in hummus. Let's go. <laughs> I know you said meal, but. That's a conveyor meal. Yeah. So now that you're four months in, mm. how are you? I'm good. I'm good. really good. Yeah. I'm, I'm in, in, in comparison to what? It's that I'm new, I'm different. I'm, I think I've, I'm breathing. It's <laughs> an excellent start. <laughs> um, so you went through IVF to conceive yeah. Tao. Yeah. Um, how many rounds or how long did you do that for? I think it's. Technically two and a half years um, and and it was – and technically six. And so it sounds like – it sounds – and the reason I say technically six is that we'd in, we started six times, if that makes sense. So the, okay. f- the first attempt we got all the way through to an embryo and then had that transfer, no dice. Then the second attempt um, – I, my body wasn't responding to the drugs, so the so the cycle was cancelled before I went to surgery. Okay. But I do still kind of consider that an attempt. Um, then the third, same again, just embryo didn't take. It was a fresh transfer. Our fourth attempt was a thaw transfer. What's Our, that mean? So it's when we had an embryo and the, it thaw. It sounds like thaw is in Chris Hemsworth, but no, yeah, actually, <laughs> I was, nice. we attempted impregnating <laughs> me with the semen of Chris Hemsworth, but no dice. Um, no thaw is into defrost. Yep. So it was a frozen embryo, no dice. The fifth attempt, we the we didn't even get to um, fertilize the eggs. So my eggs were what they called soft. So they actually, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say died, perished. Um, Expired. Uh, yeah, that feels very. Clinical. I know. Yeah. Um, while I was still under, so they basically took them out. And then they hit the air and they just went, see you later. Um, and then the sixth attempt is our baby. So our beautiful baby boy. He is a beautiful baby boy. Oh, my God, boy. I know. Like I, I'm it's not a just, burden. I'm not just being <laughs> biased. No, he's a good kid. Um, you very publicly shared your IVF yeah. journey on your blog. Yeah. And you and your husband, Nick. Yep. Nick and Nick. Were you yes. tempted to call Tayo Nick? It was a really elaborate branding exercise. <laughs> <laughs> but you both contributed. He was Nick Jr. for a while. Oh, was he? Yeah, in utero, yeah. <laughs> Again, branding. Um. Um, but you and Nick both wrote from your sides of the story. Yeah. Um, and then even before you became pregnant with Teo, you stopped sharing that. Mm. Why? That's a very good question. Because um, a lot of it was the same, same. I think I discovered that the gym, well, obviously writing about it was hugely cathartic for me. Um, I was doing what I always tend to do, which was to use humour to kind of process the the pain of it all. And I think the longer that it went on, as I said, the, it doesn't – the process doesn't really change. It, it does just tend to be kind of more of the same. There are things that you can try but we really had sort of – thrown everything at it from day one. So it felt started to feel a bit kind of repetitive. Mm. Um, and I think I was also, the longer we were in the journey, the more I became acutely aware of 
how triggering just even talking about it can be. And also it, when we kind of started things up again, COVID hit, the internet felt like there was a lot of noise and I think I just didn't necessarily want to be in a or feel the need to be in a, a place to kind of contribute to that. Mm. Will I finish the blog? Absolutely, because it's got a happy ending and I think that that's really important. I was approached by um, somebody who'd been reading it and had been shared with her. It was, I was standing in the queue to collect some drugs at, um, at Melbourne IVF. There's a, there's a window and we just kind of wait. You take your buzzer away and it, I joked about it in the blog about how it makes you feel like you're waiting for a burrito <laughs> um, and while they prepare your drugs and I was just standing there and I can't remember what I'm – oh, it must have been – oh, it must have been the progesterone. So um, at that point I knew we were already pregnant and you take the progesterone for the next, you know, three months. Um, and this woman came up to me and said, oh, I've been, I've been reading your blog and thank you so much. And, yeah, even – and she said, can I ask you how it's going? And she was just about to embark on another cycle as one cycle had been cancelled because of COVID, oh. which was just harrowing for these women who had yeah. gone through, like, taking all the drugs and then to have the surgery cancelled – and just to know that your body's about to shed a whole heap of, well, potentially a year, up to a year or more worth of fertility um, was just ho- horrible. And, yeah, to be able to say to her, oh, actually, I'm, I'm two weeks pregnant and was amazing. It was just so nice to kind of to share that. So it became, you know, and that's almost a year ago now. So mm-hmm. it, I think it's just about knowing when I feel comfortable to kind of share that information and um well and and also, it is some, yeah you're not obligated just because you no, started no of course not and I don't think I really expect I mean I kind of just put it I could have written it for myself I think I enjoyed as most people who put things on the internet we do it because we want to engage in a conversation about it we also want the attention um and I felt like I didn't know anybody who'd been through what we were going through. Mm. Turns out I did. It just, as so many things happen, as in the women's health realm, we just don't talk about it. No. So, um, and it, and there, there is stuff out there, but I think also too because I didn't want to approach it. I wanted the experience to feel fresh and anecdotal and. Um, I didn't want it to feel like a clinical explanation of, of what we're going through and also being so aware mm. that it is so different for every woman and for every couple. It's so incredibly different. So I also didn't want people to kind of find themselves in a position where they were like comparing. But for me it, it was therapy up until I decided to actually have some real therapy. <laughs> <laughs> real therapy is nice. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's hard but it's good. Um, So... Uh, just previously you just said that um, part of how you cope with things is through humour. Yes. And you are naturally very funny. Gracias. And, <laughs> and you've built your career around humour. Mm. Uh, and now you've had a baby and that's not always funny. How have you found that? Um, look, or have you made that always funny? Oh, see, the thing is is that even though I've attempted for for it not to be funny and in and certainly there's some things that I experienced in that fateful kind of f- fourth trimester that at the time were 
definitely not funny. In hindsight, are fucking hilarious because I can look at it through the lens of hindsight. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think, yeah, I think I just, I guess I just try not to be too too earnest about things in yeah. life, and I think it's just that. Yeah, there have definitely been some things that I still can't laugh about, um, but that but that's also in in real life as well. As as in like in real life because parenting is not real. <laughs> um, in you know in things outside of the the baby realm. Yeah, but it's. I suppose I also I think what it does is it encourage I, and maybe I put the pressure on myself, but it also encourages me to find the things that are funny about the journey. Mm. Um, and I think that's probably really helped from a mental health point of view for me personally is to just go, all right, let's just zoom out and look at what's fun, what can be funny about this and what can be joyful about this. Yep. Um, is there an example that you're happy to share of something that <laughs> your oh my face God, just, yeah, just dropped? So many. <laughs> um, okay. I mean, I, I don't I, – do I go in for the heavy one? I mean, like – Go on if you're I happy think, to. I mean, I think there was one there was one particular day where and it must have been I must have only been about four weeks postpartum. So still really finding my feet. And long story short, I couldn't I can't breastfeed. I couldn't breastfeed. Um and it wasn't a latch issue. It was I have I discovered that I have something called IGT, which is insufficient glandular tissue, um, and breast hyperplasia, which explains why I've never been able to find a, a bra that fit. Oh. Yeah. So turns out you don't know you have it until, well, probably until you can't breastfeed. So this, I will get to the anecdote, but this is an interesting story. Um, so there are three times in life where you lay down breast tissue, mm-hmm. and that's at birth, in puberty, and during pregnancy. So... When I was struggling to get anything out of my breasts whilst I still had this small screaming infant who was starving, like understandably, um, we had a lact- I had a lactation consultant come over and at this point obviously a midwife had stepped in and been like, we're going to need to top him up with formula because he was so tiny. It was like, you know, minuscule. And I was like, okay, having knowing nothing about formula at that point. Um, and she, the first thing she did, she was like, can I just have a look at your breasts? And I was like, sure. Because at this point I'm like, I'm just glad it's not my asshole, to be honest. Yeah. But while you're here, would you mind taking a look? Because I want to make sure it hasn't gone rancid. So, um, so, and straight away she was like, oh, okay. So you have a, like a four centimetre up, you know, a four centimetre gap between your your breasts and the way that they were shaped. Now, never in my life have I gone, I've got like weird breasts. They look quite symmetrical. But at that point she was like, I think you, let's see how we go. But it might just be a situation of like having to pull the pin. And I was like, let's work out when you want to decide to pull the pin. Now, I hadn't thought, I hadn't hadn't given the idea that I wasn't going to be able to breastfeed a single thought. But the minute that somebody told me that I might not be able to do this, I was devastated that I wasn't going to be at his 21st making everyone white Russians with my breast milk. Like it was, was, it was just this thing that had been ripped away from me. And especially because of, there was, there's so much like, 
there's so much support for breastfeeding. It's like your breastfeeding journey is going to be really, really hard and, you know, it could take you months and your baby and you've got a, you could be a latch issue, there could be all of this. Never in a million years was it that, and I thought maybe there'll be low supplies, like no worries, I'll pump 37 hours of the day, whatever, like <laughs> whatever I have to do, I'll do it. But to be told that and to discover quite quickly and to give you an indication, I was pumping and I would get 10 mil and that's like after half an hour of, That's yeah. brutal. Yeah. So, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was just one of those things where I was and like, oh, this is, yeah, hugely demoralising. And because at that point I was like, okay, I haven't been able to conceive naturally. Now I can't, and now I can't, like I, and now I can't breastfeed. It was just this incredible sense of um, inadequacy. Anyway, so the story, the story. So one particular day we'd gone out to breakfast to meet a friend who'd come over from Adelaide and, of course, you, why I was leaving the house at four weeks postpartum was wild anyway for breakfast. Um, and at one point we were next to a chemist warehouse. I was like, okay, I've got to get formula. I've got to get formula. I still don't quite know how, like, what I'm feeding my child. I've already got, thought that he might be dairy intolerant, which is apparently what every single mother goes through at some point. Um, let's just go with this one. And, of course, it wouldn't matter what they were, whether they were he was on breast milk or whether he was on formula, he'd still have an immature gut. Anyway, I walk, I walk in, I'm like, great, blue tin, grab it. We're chatting away. I'm, what else do I need? Nothing else. And get home and I make the – by the time we get home, he's screaming. Um, we've made the formula. Having to do that like, horrible – I'm going to boil the water and then wait for it yep, to cool? Yep, we're still at that place. <laughs> Having to do this horrible dance of like the child is screaming. I've got to wait. I've got to put it in the freezer and then put it in the fridge. And that, like I've got no sense of what how I'm not going to scold the inside of this child's esophagus. And Taya was the kind of baby who would just down it, regardless. Um, and I've given it. We've got there. I've given it to Nick. I've handed him the bottle. I've walked back into the kitchen, and I've just I've looked at the tin, and it's gone from six to twelve months. I've gone. Fuck, get it out. Get it out. Like, take it out. Just make him stop. Stop. Like it was going to actually physically do anything to him. So then oh, I, can't, I don't even know if we had – I can't exactly remember what entirely we did. I think at that point I got in the car, raced back to Chemist Warehouse, got the right sort, and the thing that killed me the most was that at the register this this particular, like, sales um, – assistant went just checking this is the right one I was like how dare you not ask me that before <laughs> Where were you of course because I were like the numbers on them anyway because so I've come back fed it to him and then I walked back I've left the lid open which is like you know everything has to be shut and sterilized at all times I've left the lid open and I've come back in to find the cat with his face in the tin of formula <laughs> and I was just going and I just lost it. Like I just if, just fell to pieces and just like on the, the floor of the kitchen sobbing because I just contaminated. Like first of all, I'd try, attempted to poison my child with formula that was too old. Too advanced. Too advanced. Like what was going to happen? He was going to start walking. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, had him waiting to be fed and then found myself with like and then contaminating an entire tin of formula. I think there was one point where like I had, we had like three tins of formula that I just had to empty into the bin and just go, oh, what is $120 like, down the tin? 100%, yeah. yeah. 
just going – and, of course, in hindsight it's hilarious, but it just – yeah. At the time, that's though, that's very oh, stressful. Huge. It was – I mean, it was life or death for me. And that was the thing Absolutely. where I went – and to be able to go, and I think that's it. Never in my life had my emotions been so out of control. I'd never been on that roller coaster of being able to go to zero to a hundred so quickly. Mm. And for me, at that point, I went, "Oh, I think I'm going to need some help." Like this baby blues has been going on for a while. Um, I can't. I can't parent, and I'm not the parent that I want to be for this child. Yep. Um, which I imagine is something I will say for the rest of my life. But just sitting in that space and feeling so powerless and yet so guilty. Oh, the guilt. But I, I, I find I feel guilty no matter what I do. Even when I feel like I'm getting it right. Yeah, right. I'll find something to well, feel bad about. Girlfriend. Yeah. Go easy on yourself. Maybe I need to go to therapy. <laughs> We all need to be at therapy. <laughs> again, I should yeah. say again. Again, I've again, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so is that the point where you went, oh, I think I'm going to go and see someone? No. So the point that I decided to do that was the Easter weekend um, where I convinced, managed to convince myself that I'd had a uterine prolapse and had confused the entrance of my um, urethra for my cervix. So I just want to say postpartum <laughs> is not the time to start looking at your own anatomy. If you are not familiar... With your own anatomy before having a baby, don't don't start. So yeah, I spent for that that long. I mean, I really know how to pick it as well. As far as giving myself four days of not being able to go and see a doctor, um, yeah, I convinced myself that that um, yeah that that my urethra was my um, cervix. So <laughs> it was prolapsed. I 100% convinced myself. I mean, I should bear in mind, I do actually have a grade two bladder prolapse, so I've got a very minor prolapse. Well, you weren't totally No, off. I wasn't entirely wrong, but it was amazing. I, 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 I was so extreme. I was that, like, ugly crying as in, you know, it, there wasn't a hole in my face that there wasn't a fluid coming out of. And I, I was thinking things like my husband's going to leave me, uh, it was huge. I just went, this isn't – I was so inconsolable and I went, I'm not in control and I can't – and what actually made me go, I've got to go and see someone, was not was not that I didn't – was not that I thought that I prolapsed. was with when, Then when I'd seen my family doctor, who was amazing, um, I sprung back so quickly mm. when she went, everything's fine. And it was the way that I was able to spring back so quickly that I went, oh, that's not normal. Like, because that means if I can jump back to normality and be upbeat so quickly, that means I can fall really fast again and i got enough shit to do. Yeah. Yeah. So it was at that point that I went, oh, mama needs a hand. Yeah. 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 And have you found that helpful? Really helpful, yeah. And I decided to go in for – my mum's a psychologist and I've always been real – and, you know, like most people have suffered from all various degrees of anxiety and depression throughout my life. Um, and I don't – I didn't think that postpartum depression would be something that I would necessarily escape. Um 
but I I think the irony was not lost on me that I had a baby that I'd tried so hard to conceive and mm. have and had an amazing birth. It was not lost on me that I was then finding myself in a position where I was having to seek help and and potentially having to not well yeah you do feel like it's a point where you're admitting it that you're admitting that you are and um, that you do have postnatal depression. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And do you think you felt extra pressure, either internally or externally or both, mm. to be joyful and Love every second of it because you'd worked so hard to conceive. When I was pregnant, a friend said to me who had two boys and actually has just had another baby recently, um, she said to me, I think I was about two months pregnant and that's the joy of IVF obviously so you know so early um, and you tell everyone. Um, and this was it was totally unprompted. She said, I just want you to know that just because you have tried so hard and you want this so bad, you don't have to enjoy pregnancy. And it wasn't something that had occurred to me at all, the pressure to do that, but I did feel my shoulders drop. And I was really fortunate. I had an amazing pregnancy. I loved being pregnant. So Mm. I was really, really lucky. So when I had a rough postpartum, I mean, every woman's postpartum is rough, but when I felt like it was perhaps rougher than some, um, I was like, take it. You know yeah. what? Because you you've had a really good run. So did I feel the pressure? I didn't feel the pressure internally. I definitely saw it externally. I saw people not be – I was so transparent. So when people said to me how you f- – so, for instance, I dropped 11 kilos in two weeks because I wasn't eating. Now, the, 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 the laughable part there is that, of course, I was part of the thing that I was mourning and I know how this will make me sound, but part of the thing that I was mourning – and the very minor part that I was mourning when I found out I couldn't breastfeed was this idea that if you breastfeed, the weight will fall off. <laughs> Turns out postnatal depression gets it off faster. Um, so people would say to me, oh, my God, you look amazing. You don't look like you've had a baby because I didn't. Um, and I said, no, well, and I would be really open with them. I'd be like, oh, well, I've, postpartum depression will, will do that. Turns out that will also drop the weight. And they would want to shift the conversation, like, really quickly. So... Um, Isn't that amazing though? They were happy to comment yeah. on your appearance but as soon as you made that a tangible 
real discussion about something that was really hard. Yeah. They went, oh, no, I'm good, thanks. And, like, I get, you know, and I don't expect everyone to kind of uh, – somebody said it to me actually just today. So, and I'm four, most, four months postpartum. I was at the gym. Um, I, let's just be really clear. That's the second time I've been to the gym, so I'm not nuts. Um, she was like, oh, you look incredible. And then I said, oh, thank you. Yeah, I. it turns out I was able to drop – all of the baby weight, and I didn't really have that much anyway, but able to drop it quite quickly because I couldn't eat. Um, and she said, how are you now? And that was enough. Like, and I was like, I'm actually really great. Thank you. Like, yeah. And I think that like one of the best text messages I got was from, again, from a new mum and it was, and I felt really seen when she messaged me and it was just, it was like congratulations on the baby, can't wait to meet him, are you getting enough support? And I felt, and I, I felt like I'd, I felt like she'd already heard what I was going through, mm. even though we hadn't had any kind of contact or spoken about it. And I was like, "Isn't?" And I think that's the big question now. I ask of, and you know, it's the same. Like I, I apologized to all, almost all of my friends who've had babies, all my close friends who'd had babies, because I was like, if I was. You had babies nine years ago. I would have been so oblivious, so useless, so unable to connect with you. And I was sorry, like, I, not sorry in a guilty. I mean, sorry is more of a Australian government has acknowledged that something <laughs> bad has happened. Let's no one take any blame. But it was for me, it was about going, I, I acknowledge that you, there was a lot going on. And I, I, I'm sorry that I wasn't able to kind of be a bit, bit there. I've had girlfriends apologise to me now that they've had their first after I had mine and a lot of them have said, I am so sorry. But I think it's that thing because I did the same thing like for my sisters when they had their kids, no idea. Yeah. And and you can't, I don't. I don't think. It's one of those things but then also you might sound like a bit of an asshole if you say, but you don't understand until you've lived it. But... I don't think you can understand until you've lived. No, it. and I think that there's a lot of grief that is a, that happens with, and I don't think it's the same as losing someone. But you lose a huge part of yourself. You obviously gain something that is so incredibly magical and that will enrich your life for forever. Mm. Um, but there's a huge amount of loss. Well, because it's a transformation, isn't it? Yeah. Like I had again a lot of friends say, "When do I go back? When do I go back to myself?" No. So you, sorry, champ, you don't. Yeah. Um, and one in particular, a mutual friend of ours, um, said, oh, lost my train of thought because I was worrying about whether or not I should say her name. Um, sure. But it's fell. Um, <laughs> she, she was very concerned about losing herself. Yeah. And I said to her, well, you know, I can only speak from my experience, but I said, you, you, you transform and you will be someone else, but yeah. you're still yourself. I'm still me. I still think dick jokes are funny. Yeah. But I'm also a completely different person. Totally. And I had a similar, I mean, when, when things were really rough, Nick and I were talking and I want to say I was sobbing, but that was, that wasn't, that's not, wasn't, that wasn't a benchmark or indicative of anything. I was sobbing all the time. It didn't, it didn't, and I got to the point where I could be like, this doesn't mean anything. This means I'm not coping very well universally, but this conversation doesn't, isn't supposed to be elevated or you're not supposed to feel manipulated by the fact that I'm sobbing. And 
I had to say to him, I don't know that I will ever be the same again. Mm. I don't know that the person that you fell in love with will will still be around. I'll, you know, the, the essence of me, but I have changed mm-hmm. and I will continue to change and you will change. Um, and I don't, I don't think that it's a negative. I just think it is just an evolution of kind of, you know, I don't think we look at it like climate change and, you know, like everything just is going to get dry and barren. Well, we hope not, not too soon. <laughs> but, um, um, but yeah, it's, I could, I knew at that point, even through the foggy kind of haze of postpartum, that, that I wasn't ever kind of quite going to be the same. And I don't, I don't know what I was gripping onto. I don't, that's the hard, I think that one will take me a while to kind of. I think maybe it's, it's more that you don't know what you're going to look like. And so yeah. it's that fear of the unknown. Yeah. You know, you, you're gripping onto your old self because you know that and it's safe and familiar. Yeah. Maybe. And how, how's it been for you and Nick having had a lot of focus on becoming pregnant to now having a baby which pulls a lot of focus? Yeah. How's that been within your marriage? Really good actually. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, huge, huge challenge because I think there's I – I'm sure there's plenty of like Instagram grid posts about – you know, the things you should really discuss while you're pregnant as far as like what life will look like and what your relationship will look like. And Those ones that are like things I did discuss, things I wished I'd discussed. Yeah, totally. And someone's yeah. been on Canva and made it look nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think, oh, look, it's, it's, you know, obviously for me there's been a lot of focus on career. We met in a career environment. So... And we've always worked either together or kind of orbited each other. Mm. So it was, I think, in the early days, even though I wasn't necessarily kind of like interested in going back to work, I certainly there was an air of like jealousy as far as you, you know, you not only get to leave the house and go to work, but you're engaging with part of yourself, you know, you that um, for me feels a long, long way off. Mm. Um, but, and it's... Easy, I think, and I have spoken. I've got another, another, you know, newish mum friend, and we've spoken about this a lot. It's a, it's easy to kind of give the support on paper. It's really easy to say, "I will support you when you want to start going back to work," but because you are, you have so much of the, you know, invisible parenting load, and um, until it truly feels like you are co-parenting a child it's very difficult to kind of switch off mentally and I don't think I ever I ever really will um but then yes I think it's just it's just that dance it's Mm. that real kind of um and I and I don't as much and as much as I think you can talk about it hypothetically before the child arrives Yeah. You have to live it. Like yeah, you I just agree. have to live that kind of um, juggle. And and I think our story is, is 
just more complicated because, or maybe not, um, we both have a lot of career freedom, I suppose, um, as far as we both are in a position where we are doing what we love. Mm. Um, we're not, we're not, we can dictate what our work week looks like rather yeah. than an employer who determines what we do. Yes. But I think the hardest thing for me has been we've always um, we've always worked through our weekends and finding, making sure we find time to be a family together rather than, you know, in these fleeting moments of bedtime, bath time um, and actually kind of engage with the world and, you know, add lockdowns and whatnot on top of that. It's Yeah, that's been pretty brutal. Yeah. 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 And have you started some work again? Yeah. I mean, I've technically started, I mean, don't, don't Centrelink going to tune in? Um, <laughs> Highly doubtful. Uh, I won't tag them. Anyway. Yeah, don't tag them. Um, yeah, I did some work kind of from the five-week mark and, yeah, it's, but I've also, I've also turned stuff down and it's for the first time in my life have I said no to work, which has felt great. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, just not because I think as a freelancer it's this fear of if I don't say yes then they won't ask again. Um, and I think, you know, we also have that as, as you know, women have had babies. I, am I are people going to want to – am I going to be seen as being difficult to work with because I'm only available a certain number of days a week or just remembering that you have currency and that, you know, I if anything I feel like first of all my productivity is – exponentially improved. Through the roof. That's outrageous how much I used to fuck about. Oh, just um, so much trailers on yes. YouTube and shit right? during like, the day. If you want a productive worker, get a new mum. Get a mum. Um, she, it's, it's, yeah, it's outrageous how much I can get done now. Because also you never know when you're going to be called away. Exactly. So you just smash it out as fast totally, as you can. Totally, yeah. totally. We'll skip meals. We'll skip going to the bathroom. S- but yeah, I mean, but that you know, it also that also plays into identity as well. It's like it's it's been wild to go from oh, I'm the infertile comedian to the now I uh, now I'm just like everybody else with a baby. I'm like, oh, <laughs> what am I going to make jokes I know, about? Exactly. What are you going to make jokes about? Oh, fuck knows. <laughs> I mean, the prolapse and the perineal tear has helped. I'll be honest. That'll 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 yeah, be yeah. a start. <laughs> Something I did want to ask is, which you've probably answered in a in a roundabout way. But um, mentally speaking now, how do you feel about yourself? I'll probably cry. I'm really proud of myself. (laughs) Um, uh, Because, you know, there was a lot of pressure to want so greatly for a child. Um, and to spend a lot of money, <laughs> so like the sacrifices. <laughs> Nick sent me a photo today of her friends who've bought a you know two million dollar house somewhere, and he was like, "How how are all of our friends buying these houses?" And I was like, "I think we're the, I think we might be the poor ones." Oh, we're poor, um, <laughs> <laughs> but we're really happy. Um, and yeah, I'm really, I'm really. I'm just so grateful that I get to see myself in this light. I think that, you know, when 
Nick and I were staring down the barrel of potentially having to call it with the IVF, really from a mental health point of view, just going, I don't want to be, I don't want to be those people who are brought up anecdotally in conversation Mm. as we had friends who tried 11 times and, you know, now she's got cervical cancer and, you know, like whatever (laughs) it becomes, right? I just, unless it ends in like villa and then, you know, like unless it ended in like, but we go and stay in their villa in the Maldives. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just didn't, I didn't want to be finding myself in a position where we were like in debt, paying it off, just being barren and miserable um, and losing sight of what we actually had. Mm. And one of the big turning points in the journey, the fertility journey for us or infertility journey for us was accepting that we were going to be enough for each other. And ironically, or not ironically, the minute we did that, we fell pregnant. So mm. I wish we'd established that earlier, to be honest. We could have saved a lot of money. <laughs> um, and I am really, of course, I am grateful for my beautiful child mm. who I still look at and go, I know I was there but I can't believe you came out of me. Were you about to say fell out of me? I was going to say fell and I was like, no, <laughs> it was falling. no falling. <laughs> um, and first of all, I can't believe that legally like you're just allowed to be in my care. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even need a certificate. That is absurd to me. Um, and I'm just so grateful that I can see that I get to be a mother, that I get to um, – that I'm doing it mm. and I can do it. And oh, I don't know if it's a – I think it's a – I don't know. I may. I, I don't know if it's a Buddhist statement or maybe it's um, some a statement from Islam, which is we are only challenged as much as we can handle. And I think that kind of has really resonated, or that's been something that I've touched back on throughout the whole whole journey with this sense of. And I'm not particular. I'm certainly not religious, and maybe I'm a tiny bit spiritual, but this idea that. I will only be as challenged as far as what I can handle, which means everything that feels challenging, there will be a point where I've handled it. Um, And that, and I'm just, I thought that after falling pregnant and having a successful birth with a baby that I would be grateful for having a baby, but I think I'm actually more grateful for being a mother. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Tears across Britain. <laughs> Tears across everywhere. Yeah. That's really special. That's really nice. Well, there's your pool quote. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's not very funny. <laughs> Witless, if I'm honest. But and very earnest, even though I said I wouldn't, wouldn't be. But, yeah. No, but you've been both funny and earnest. Oh, thanks, mate. That felt like a very nice place to... To yeah. finish on. But That's right, I've got a good one. Okay, but I, I've already prepped you for your final <laughs> yeah. question, yeah. Jerry's final thought. Um, if there is something that someone said to you or what would you now say to a new mum that's empowering? Yeah. Okay, can I do two? Sure. And then they sort of speak to the same thing. So, I th- and I think this is, I think Gandhi said this maybe, but I read it in a book. So I love you've gone, it's Buddhist, it's Islam, maybe it was it's, Gandhi. This is all very off-brand for me. <laughs> um 
pain lies in the space between expectation and what actually happens. Wait, let me just go with that again. (laughs) Okay. And whether your baby is bottle-fed or breastfed, they will still grow up to eat chips off the floor. Yes. Absolutely they will. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Oh, my gosh, thank you so much for asking me. just been (laughs) absolutely spectacular. Oh, we've already scratched the surface. But, yeah, I can't – it's so nice to be able to, first of all, as a new mum, be able to talk about yourself. I mean, I enjoy that regardless of being a mother or not. Um, There's less time to do it when, you, really when you're a mum. Um, yeah, and just to have the chance to reflect and and see and, you know, at this point in my journey for, at four months I've come so far and it's nice you, to reflect on that. Honestly, I was still an absolute <laughs> mess. Comparison is a thief of joy. I know, I know, but I'm just as a – not as like a comparing but yeah. just as a – I think you're phenomenal to be able to sit there and <laughs> now I'm going to cry again, to be able to sit there and say that you're really proud of yourself. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> God, I'm wearing makeup for the first time in months and I did, thank you. You didn't have to, but I thanks. know, but I was trying to be a bit professional. Um, I think that's huge. Yeah. I think that's amazing and you, you should be proud of yourself just because you can say it. Yeah, I mean, I... I could be deluded, but at this point, oh, just run with it. Yeah, give me a month. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe I'll check in with you in a few months yeah. and see how you're feeling. <laughs> but I, but I hope that you still feel proud of yourself because that's pretty good. I hope so, thanks, Nick. My pleasure. Oh, <laughs> fuck up. <laughs> big thank you to today's guest, Nicolette Minster. There are links in the show notes to Panda, Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Australia. They have an amazing hotline you can call if you need some support. There's also a link for information about insufficient glandular tissue, breast hyperplasia. Mummification is produced and hosted by me, Brodie Matner. Our beautiful music is composed by Ben Talbot Dunn. If you're enjoying the show, please rate, review and subscribe. You'll be notified when a new episode is released and it helps us reach new audiences, which in turn will hopefully help more women feel less alone. Thanks for listening. Extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. 
United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.